0: We have been walking through the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and if you've been kind of following along, we are getting close to that kind of halfway point. So uh, this week and next week, we will continue with our Ephesians series, and then we're actually going to take a little bit of a break. Uh, Paul was nice enough to kind of split this letter into two halves for us. So we're going to do the first half. We're going to take a break. We're going to have a five-week Advent series. Some of you probably saw the promotional material for that. And we'll spend five weeks unpacking our Advent series, and then we'll jump jump right back into the book of Ephesians. So last week we mentioned that uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus is kind of a roller coaster ride. We kind of started off with really positive, really great stuff, encouraging stuff, and then last week we kind of got to that heavy stuff of what happens when we are not in Christ. And today we're going to take another kind of turn or another dip on the roller coaster that we're on, and we're going to talk about the importance of community. And we're going to talk about the fact that we are truly better together. Now, if you've been around the church here for a while, you know that we actually just did a whole series titled Better Together, where we looked at the importance of us being together as a church family and how powerful that can be. And and Paul reminds us of that here in the book of Ephesians. As I always tell you guys, I had a one time that said hey if I say it more than once it's probably going to be on the test and I believe that the reason that we see this so much throughout scripture of the importance of community and the importance of being together and the importance of the church is because it's important and I want to take some time this morning to look at that so here is the big question that I have for you how is in, how important is it for you to be with one another how important is it to you to be right where you are here this morning and be surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ? And I want you to think about this question as we unpack this portion of Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to think about this question. How important is it for you to be right here where you are this morning? Now, the fact that you're here tells me that at least today it was very important to you, and I'm very thankful for that. Sunday is my favorite day of the week because even though I'm at the building pretty much every day, on Sunday mornings I get to be here with all of you wonderful, amazing folks. And we share some hugs and some handshakes and some some kind words and some pleasantries. But, But it's just there's something special about being in this place on a Sunday morning. And I hope that you feel that way too. And if maybe you don't feel that way, then I want you to really stop and think about the importance of church and the importance of these people sitting on the left and the right-hand side of you, or maybe behind you in this case. Because Sunday should be a powerful time. It's a powerful time where we get to, when we walk through those doors, we get to put everything of the world behind us, literally, and focus on God. And to focus on Jesus Christ. And to focus on what Jesus Christ did for you and I. And I hope that that's exactly what happens on Sunday mornings, is that, that you leave your cares and you leave your stresses and you leave your problems at the door. And when you come into this place, we truly focus on Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're here for. And it's so easy to get distracted by everything else that's going on in our lives, that if we can't give God an hour on Sunday mornings, then we really need to think about our relationship with him. But I want you to think about this as we go through this morning's points and information. How important is it for us to be here with one another? And the idea is that God is building something when we are gathering here together. He's doing something powerful amongst our midst. Now, a lot of times when we talk about church and we talk about attendance in church, we go to Hebrews chapter 10 and it says, do not forsake the assembly as some have been known to do. That's an important verse. I don't want to take anything away from that verse. It's it's basically a command. Do not forsake the assembly. Do not put the things in your life ahead of church. Do not make other things more important than God. And that's great. That's a powerful scripture. I don't want to take anything away from that. But the question is, why? Why are we told not to forsake the assembly? And that's what I want to look at with you here this morning. We have been living in a weird time. Things have just been different. Now, if you look at this picture on the left-hand side is how meetings kind of used to take place, right? It used to be, you know, you'd, you'd go to a conference room or you'd go to a, a someone's office and you'd kind of surround a table and you'd talk and you'd bounce ideas off of one another. And it was a very personal thing. You, you could see their facial expressions. You could hear the inflection in their voice. And, and there's just something powerful about collaborating with a team. There's something powerful about that. The picture on the right is how most of our meetings look today. And for those of you who use it, you'll recognize that's, that's a nice Zoom call that some of us got very sick and tired of doing over the last year and a half or so. And there's just something different about meeting together and collaborating over the computer. Now, I am not dissing technology. Technology is fabulous. Technology is wonderful. And without technology, I don't know where we would have been coming out of this pandemic. But there's just something different about it. It's just not... The same thing. And besides, when we have Zoom, what do we do? We turn our cameras off and we mute our microphones and we're usually checked out and doing something completely different. But that's kind of what meetings look like today. Some of you will recognize these two pictures. What do we got going on here? So the top picture, right, is a family around the dinner table and they're engaged in conversation and they're smiling and they're happy and they're talking about their day and they're talking about the future. And then the bottom right-hand corner is what most of our dinner, dinner tables actually look like today. And that's every person at the table is on their cell phone. And mom's in there too. She's just kind of leaned back, but you can, you can see her. She's on her cell phone too. But every person at the table is on their cell phone. You know, it, it used to be that family dinners meant something. It, it used to be that was a special time where we all took a break from our day and we took a deep breath and we slowed down and we sat around the table and we broke bread together. But today, a lot of times, it looks more like the bottom picture where we're all together and we're all in the same room. And in this case, they're all surrounding the same table, but they're not connecting with one another. They're connected to their Wi-Fi. The internet is more important. And we all have these amazing devices right now that are in our pockets where we basically have a powerful computer that goes everywhere with us. And you see this everywhere you go, whether it's the coffee shop or the restaurant. Everybody's doing this. I think sooner or later, our kids are going to be born kind of stooped forward with really big thumbs. Because, right, we're all doing this constantly, right? We're all at this angle. And then we wonder why we have neck and back problems and and all kinds of stuff. But my point is, are we really connecting to one another? Because we've lost that in our workplaces, and we've lost that in our homes. So what happens when we come to church on Sunday morning? Are we truly connecting like the top picture, or do we look more like the bottom picture? Where you're listening to me, but really you're checking your fantasy football score, you're checking to make sure the Cowboys are winning, and you're just not, you're just not plugged in to each other and to Jesus. And maybe part of that is just this, this, this world that we live in, right? We talked last week about how when we do things and we hear things and we see things over and over again, they just become second nature. Well, this bottom picture has become second nature for a lot of us. Now, I know that those of you who are on your phones are on the Bible app or you're on the church app and you're paying attention, but, and taking notes, thank you, but this is what I want to remind us of this morning. Which is the ecclesia, which is just a Greek term for the gathering, the coming together? Is it the picture on the left? Is it about the building? Or is it the picture on the right? It's the picture on the right. It's the, it's the people coming together, inviting Jesus into their midst. It's the people coming together and studying and putting the things of the world out of the picture. Now, there's a verse that gets horribly misquoted a lot, but I love the sentiment of the verse, so don't persecute me for saying this. But we often use the the where two or three are gathered together. Now, that is not talking about when people are gathered for a Bible study. That's actually talking about church discipline. It's actually talking about if you're going to accuse someone, you need to have two or three people. So don't get me wrong, I'm not taking this verse out of context. But it's true but it doesn't even take two or three. See, God is with us when we're alone as well. But there's something powerful about when you get a group of people together that are working towards the same goal. We've got a couple of small groups in the church and and hopefully, Lord willing, after the first of the year, we're gonna launch back our full-scale small groups, which might look a lot like this, right? A group of people sitting on the couch together, studying and praying together. But it's not just about that, it's about doing life together. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians. As we jump into Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 19. Verse 19. Now, he's actually talking to the Gentiles here. And he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Because remember, up to this point, right, the Gentiles in Israel were kind of the outsiders. They were not welcomed, they were not landowners, they were not treated the same as the Jewish people. And Paul is reminding them look, You're not a stranger anymore, and you're not a foreigner anymore. Just like when we get baptized into the body of Christ, and we're no longer a stranger, and we're no longer a foreigner. And he says, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. I love this idea of citizenship. Because, see, when you put on Christ in baptism, when, when you're forgiven of your sins, when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're adopted into the family of Christ, and you've earned your citizenship. See, Christ paid the price so that you and I could be citizens. And we've got to live into that and live up to that. Verse 20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, for those of you who are not builders, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. See, there's something very important about a cornerstone, and I couldn't really find the perfect picture that I was looking for, but I think this will give you the idea. But, but when building, they would have this perfectly squared, this perfectly 90-degree angle stone, which is where they would start the building process. Now, you got to remember, this is before we had the technology that we have today, where we simply point a laser at it and we use a computer to make sure everything is perfectly straight. But a cornerstone was the most important piece of any structure. Because if you didn't start with a cornerstone, you were not going to end up with a nice square building. You were going to end up with something that looks more like what my four-year-old draws on a piece of paper with a crayon. This is how they determined that that building would be straight, that it would be perfect. So this imagery that we're talking about with Jesus being the chief cornerstone means that everything that we do needs to be built around him. He needs to be not our last resort, but our starting point. And when we make him our starting point, then we're going to have a firm, true, foundation. When you look at this picture of the cornerstone, I want you to notice something. Everything else attaches to it. And that's exactly what we have to do. Because see, if we don't attach ourselves to the cornerstone, if the cornerstone isn't the foundation and everything builds from that, then we're not going to be in Christ, which is what we've been talking about throughout the book of Ephesians. This is that idea of finding our identity in Christ and seeing ourselves as Christ sees us, is we've got to attach ourselves to him. We've got to attach ourselves to Jesus. And when we do that, we're going to be a straight, perfect, beautiful, wonderfully made foundation. But it starts with Jesus. And one day it will end with Jesus. When he comes back to establish his kingdom here on earth. Verse 21 says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. See, he can do some powerful things when we focus on Jesus. We sang the song earlier, Firm Foundation. It starts with the foundation. And when we have that foundation, and that foundation is Jesus, and everything that we say and we do and we plan and we think goes back to Jesus, then we're going to have that firm foundation. That We're going to build something wonderful. Verse 22 says, And in him, here we go again with the in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. See, when we build that firm foundation, when we focus on Jesus Christ, then God is going to come and dwell amongst us. God is going to come and dwell with us. Now, we know from what we read in the Old Testament, right, they had to have a temple, and God would dwell in the temple, but not everybody could go go into the inner room of the temple, the holiest of holy places. You would go to the temple, and then the priest would go in on your behalf and talk to God. Well, thank goodness that Jesus came along and changed all that. We get to talk to God. More importantly, he wants to talk to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And see, when we build something wonderful, when we build something strong, when we come together as a church, then God is pleased with that and wants to be a part of it. And as we read here, he's going to dwell amongst us. But again, it all goes back to focusing on Jesus. And when we do that, verse 22 reminds us that we can be built up together. I want to look at some other examples from scripture. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Again, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11 says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, and be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. See, when we're encouraging one another, when we're all working towards the same goal, when we're all focused on Jesus Christ, he tells us again, God will be with us. And is that not the goal? He'll be with us, but we got to do it together We've got to do it as one, and we've got to focus on Jesus. And we can, but it takes each and every one of us. Let's flip over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 44, starting in verse 44. We're talking about here the early church. Right, the early church and how they came together and how they handled their business and what God did in return. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common. So see, all you guys have to do is you all have to become Dallas Cowboy fans and then we can all have that in common and we can go from there. No, that's not what we're talking about. The thing that they have in common is Jesus Christ. And see, we all have that in common and we may have our differences and we may not see eye to eye on everything. You may not like the color of my shirt. You may not like the color of the walls in the auditorium. You may hate the banners. But at the end of the day, if we're all focused on Jesus, then we have something in common. That should be the glue that holds us together. That should be the glue that says, yeah, I don't like the way we're doing X, Y, Z, but it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not talking about things that are not scriptural. I'm talking about the little things that we tend to spend a lot of time talking about and a lot of time arguing about. At the end of the day, if we're focused on Jesus, then those other things don't matter. Verse 45 says they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I'm not saying go out and sell your house and your car because I don't have room for all of you to live with me. But it's the mentality and it's the attitude of the early church. Was that if I have a brother or a sister that's in need, that I'm willing to give the shirt off my back. That I'm willing to give them my last $5. That I'm willing to sell what I have to make sure that the greater number is good. Again, unfortunately, this is not a realistic concept. We're not going to go all live in a tent together and, and do life Constantly side by side. But it's the idea, and it's the sentiment, and it's the mentality. Because, see, we can still have this same mentality. We're coming up on the Christmas season, and and that's a time that we tend to start focusing on what we have. And it's also a time where we start focusing on what some other folks don't have. And it's a time that we open our hearts and we open our wallets and we, we give to charities and we, we adopt families and that's all fantastic things. But are we thinking the same way about our own church family? Are we taking care of each other? Do we have that same mentality that I'd give my shirt off my back to each and every one of you? See, that goes back to the question that I asked you at the very beginning of how badly do you want and need to be together. Verse 46 says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. See, they were together every day. We only ask you for one hour on Sunday mornings. Maybe an hour and 10 minutes, depending on how carried away I get. But we only ask for one hour on Sunday mornings. Early church were together every single day. Every day. If they could be together every day, why do we struggle to find time to be in the Word every day? Why do we find time? Why, why do we struggle to find time to pray every day? Why do we find it hard to get to church every Sunday? The early church were together every single day. And I love that it says they broke bread together. And I love that he points that out because I think that's powerful. There's just something powerful about sitting down at a table with someone and sharing a meal. There's just something powerful about that. Something powerful about just surrounding the table and spending time together because building relationships is important. And this is how they built relationships is they spent time together and they broke bread together. Are we taking the time to get to know one another? Are we taking the time to let each other know that we love each other? Are we taking the time to tell someone, "Hey, I got your back. If you need anything, call me. If I can pray for you, call me." See, it's the mentality that the early church had but I want you to catch what happens in the next verse or two. Actually, the next verse, sorry. It says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We talked about this earlier. When we focus on Jesus, when we have a strong church family, when we're doing the things that we need to be doing, God will bless us. He added to their number daily because what they were doing was pleasing to him. It was pleasing to him that they had formed their own family. It was pleasing to them that they were spending time together. It was pleasing to him that they were focused on Jesus Christ. And when he did, the Lord was pleased and added to their numbers daily. He was with them. And he wants to be with us. But we've got to do our part. Because we truly are better together. One of the most important reasons that we come together is to get our cups filled. I know that's kind of an outdated phrase. It's kind of an outdated terminology. But when we come together on Sunday mornings, one of the things that we come to do is to get our cups filled so that when we go out those doors we can do the work of Jesus. See, we come here to be encouraged. We come here to sing songs. We come here to spend time in the Word so that we can go out there and do what Jesus wants us to do. The church is so much more than what happens in one hour on Sunday mornings. And yes, that's important. But what's more important is what do you do with that when you walk out the door? Are you taking it to your friends and your neighbors, and your families, and your coworkers? Or are you checking the box and saying, okay, went to church, check, good for the week? See, we gotta come in here and we gotta be encouraged and be uplifted and fill our cups so we can go out there and fill other people's cups. And we do that by being a family, by being a community. So the things I want you to remember as you get ready to leave here today is that we are a family. We're a church family, and just like the early church, we should be willing to do whatever it takes to help one another out. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we love each other. When you love someone, you want the best for that person. And that's how we've got to look at one another. And that's, again, not to say we're not going to have our differences. It's not going to say we're going to agree on everything. But at the end of the day, we agree on Jesus. Make Christ the foundation, not only of this church, but of your personal life. When your life is built on a foundation of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. It is a game changer. And remember that this is the place that God wants us to be and that God wants to be with us. This can be his dwelling place. This should be his dwelling place. I pray that this is his dwelling place. And I pray that the spirit dwells in you because we are better together. In just a moment, Brandon's going to come up and lead us in another song. And we call that the song of invitation because we want to invite you to come forward. Maybe you haven't built your life on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity this morning to be baptized for the remission of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that God can truly dwell in you. You have an opportunity to do that. Or maybe you built your life on that firm foundation that is Jesus Christ, but the waves and the wind and the storms have just kept knocking you down and knocking you down. Maybe you need to come forward and speak to myself or one of the elders. Maybe we can pray with you and we can help you in any way that we can. If we can, we want to encourage you to come forward as we stand together and as we sing. I will never be the same again.